Welcome to Snakes and Otters, a pointless discussion of eternal questions. Get ready, we're about to live in your head rent-free. Hello, Otterites, this is episode 151. I am Martin. And I'm Robert. And I'm Francis. So, uh, a reading before we get started. Let us go then, you and I, when the evening is spread out against the sky like a patient etherized upon a table. Let us go through certain half-deserted streets the muttering retreats of restless nights in one-night cheap hotels and sawdust restaurants with oyster shells. Streets that follow like a tedious argument of insidious intent to lead you to an overwhelming question. Oh, do not ask, what is it? Let us go and make our visit. In the room, the women come and go, talking of Michelangelo. That's the opening of the love song of J. Alfred Prufrock. Oh, yes. My favorite T.S. Eliot poem. And I know poetry is probably not only kind of off the reservation for us, but probably something that I think, uh, I don't know, a casual listener might want to skip to the next episode on us. But No, don't do that. There's lots of good stuff coming. There's yeah. lots of good stuff coming. So stick around. <coughs> stick around. Um, but I want to talk T.S. Eliot. Yeah, we're talking about the man. And, and the works. And uh, as a hero, and we... Again, we talk about craft. Uh, he is a foundational poet for the 20th century. Yes. Oh, yeah. Um, poetry doesn't always appeal to the average person. It's certainly older poetry is rare for it to appeal to me. Like? There once was a man for man tucket. <laughs> oh, wait, you mean different kind of poetry. You yes. went there. Oh, wow. I'm sorry. The one was a woman from Venus whose body was... Never mind. That's right. Even Data did that one. Sorry. That's okay. No, no, it's good. It's good. Um, but Elliot is one of those people, one of those writers in high school. And I know in high school there's lots of other things to be interested in. But I just... He put hooks in me right from the first. Really? Um, much like an Orwell would uh, in, in novel... Uh, in fiction, but in poetry, Eliot grabbed me. Um, but Eliot was more than a poet. He was yeah. also a playwright. Yes. Murder in the Cathedral. One very of my famous. very favorites. Absolutely yes. one of the best. Yes. Uh, of course, about the murder of Beckett. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was a cultural critic, an essayist. And of all things... Publisher. Yep. Yeah, he worked for a publisher, was a director and of a editor. publishing house, and an editor. And... The, the tentacles of what he did flow through to, even today, the musical Cats. If you've ever watched a performance of Cats and enjoyed it, or hopefully you didn't enjoy the movie that bombed rather horribly, but... Yes, like Hiroshima, unfortunately. Uh, yes, but that's based on a children's book he wrote. Huh, didn't know that. Old Possum's Book of Practical Cats. That was then adapted by... Uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber mm-hmm. into the musical Cats. Um, Eliot's influence uh, also extends to Francis Ford Coppola. <coughs> Pardon me, Francis Ford Coppola. I guess I need a slug of bourbon here. Yeah, please go right ahead, sir. But <coughs> Eliot is who Kurt quotes mm-hmm. when he reads poetry to um, um, Willard. Willard. Uh, yeah. in the in the, the hollow men, the yes. hollow men. Not, I don't know if that's in every version 
I know it's in. Yeah. <coughs> there's parts of that Kurtz piece that has that uh, were cut for the theatrical version that were restored in the redo version later. But I do believe that was kept in. in yes, all I believe versions. it's in in all versions. <coughs> uh, Kurtz strolls through his compound with Willard as a captive, right. reading out uh, Elliot. Now let me just interject something here because. I, I, it's one of the things that I think is a fascinating trope, and I don't mean trope in the in the good sense, as in you know things you expect out of a certain kind of story. Right. I mean almost in the cliche <coughs> kind of sense. Yeah. Is that guys that are just a little bit crazy mm-hmm. are often into the poetry stuff. <laughs> you ever notice that? Oh yeah. Well, they have to justify their position to the hero and to the audience for being a villain. Well, it makes you may you know it's almost like if I'm into poetry, it means I'm deep. Yeah, that's right. I'm deeply crazy, but that's, you know, well, one that has know, nothing to do with the other. Right. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, like I said, if, if you were in college in the 60s, if you could quote Nietzsche, you got laid. Well, it does make Nietzsche much more appealing. I will so there that. you go. Uh, and I, I think this is... But the 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 milieu of Elliot is Ooh, a good word. Oh, you did it. Oh, you went there. Oh, wow. Very that's, good. That's good. a pretty good bourbon word, that's too. That's a good word. That's a very good word. Uh, Otterites, we're here at uh, Studio F, the Baxter yes, Building. We are, yes. Uh, we've already had a couple shots of Wild Turkey, and uh, we're, we're pretty lubed up. More, <laughs> it's... more to come. Well, <laughs> do poetry well, a little lubricity. Yeah, it might from be that. needed, but he is one of those guys that is part of that, <clears throat> like Hemingway. He's not quite a lost generation person, but he's profoundly affected by his experiences in the early part of the 20th century. Right, because he's going to be a little bit older than Hemingway, isn't he? Yes. He's, yeah. he's actually born in the 1880s. Right. And he's born in the U.S. He's born in St. Louis. Right. But he... Boston family. Boston yes. Uh, and they're well off. They're, they're involved in, <coughs> in business. Yeah, he's, he's 10 years Hemingway Sr. Yes. But he moves to Britain at age 25, a few years before the war. Right. And eventually would convert... Um, to the Anglican Church and really try to be British. So it's a very unique individual. Yeah, he gave up his U.S. citizenship. He didn't mm-hmm. just convert to Anglicanism. He converted to being British. <laughs> yes, I mean, he really did feel he was British. Uh, Oxford and, and, and all of this stuff. Uh, worked for a British company for in publishing in favor and favor. Uh, but he's profoundly affected by those European experiences. Yeah, he did. He did not go and fight. He's a little older, but he was part of those years of a Europe searching for meaning, searching for purpose after the war. Um, and everything's quite the mess, as we know uh, from the twenties and thirties. And there's economic depression, the rise of Nazism, all of this stuff. And it's very difficult for those in the arts and letters. <coughs> they got to figure out a place. Right. So, uh, and listeners, you may have heard a few of these names of these poems. Uh, the Hollow Man, Love Song of J. Alfred Proof Rock. And probably the most profound is called The Wasteland. Right. Uh, it's a, a lengthy, near-epic poem. Um, well. Profoundly influenced by Ezra Pound, his close friend. Even if people <coughs> don't know... T.S. Eliot and his poem The Wasteland, I guarantee they know Stephen King because Stephen King directly, not lifted, but was directly influenced by The Wasteland to do the Gunslinger series. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, Roland is the name of his gunslinger. That's from The Wasteland. 
And the hollow man is uh, uh, a phrase that he turns into something in another one of his books that he ultimately ties all together uh, and related to some of this uh, uh, gunslinger series. But it's, so, you know, again, incredible reach. You know, T.S. Eliot to Stephen King. And there's a direct line. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's just, uh, you know, again, just the hooks. And how how does a poet put hooks into a 17-year-old from from the South End who doesn't know anything? I, I just don't know. I don't understand. But these profoundly affecting things... Uh, in school, again, Orwell or Bradbury with Fahrenheit 451, mm-hmm. you know, the, that's, it's in here. Uh, a lot of people, <coughs> uh, Lord of the Flies, William Golding, yeah. you know, that's a very influential foundational work that you always had to read probably as a freshman in high school and it, it grabbed you. Uh-huh. And, and you, you, but this really did grab me right from the start. Um, Which work in particular? Proof Rock. I was going to ask you if it was Proof Rock. Yes. Because that's kind of, that's written right before, right around the beginning of the war. Uh, Yes. That's in 15. That's right as the war is going on. And it is an absolute masterpiece. Seemed out, it was considered outlandish at the time. Yes. Uh, uh, Literary critics, it was so different and so unusual. And And what is that poem or is is that one of the other? uh, It is a poem. Poem, a poem, poem. The Love Song of J. Alfred Prufrock, <coughs> which appeared yes. in a larger work. Yes, but it uh, is one of his earliest poems, earliest published poems. Yeah. Again, Ezra Pound it's is very, influencing him and going, hey, this is stuff that needs to be out there. Let's get it published. It's it's kind of before his time in many respects because it's it's a, ref, it's a reflection on the profound power of impotence and disillusionment which the world would be taken by storm of in just a few short years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's, so he's very prophetic in, in writing all this down because war has just barely begun yes. when he's doing this. It's a very introspective work. Yeah, it's similar to James Joyce, yes. in his stream, uh, which was a contemporary. Yes. Because uh, it's written stream of consciousness, which was... Which he would really perfect more in... The Wasteland, right. where it's stream of consciousness of multiple voices. Right. Proofrock is really a single voice. Uh, it's not that, not that dissimilar from Ulysses. Yes, because that's ultimately, you know, Bloom and his and his journey through the day with Ireland in in, in Ireland. But it's 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 focused differently. Yes. And uh, which Proofrock's not that long, if I recall correctly. No. Uh, and it's and it's it's just it's it's almost depressing. Yes. In in a way, and it, it it's got that I don't want to say nihilism aspect to it because it's not Nietzschean. No, it's, it isn't nihilistic. It isn't self-destructive. Right. But it is It is self-reflective. It's almost like there's an aimlessness here, mm-hmm. a malaise, good word, that cannot be conquered. And that's what the, the, the protagonist, yeah. you know, the speaker, is meditating on. And yeah. it spoke to people. Yes. Yourself in particular. Yes, uh, you know, it's it's a it's a how do I view myself when I feel outside of others? If I'm not connected to the others, how do I do that? How do I get connected? How do I view myself? 
And to a nerd, I'm, this is the first nerdy poem in a way. Oh yeah, I mean, this is this is not speaks to the outsider, right? I mean, this is a definite departure <coughs> from Byron or Shelley commenting on this larger world and heroism and in the the Greek War of Independence. This is very much a man. I just I don't know who I am. Yeah, I don't know who I am. What do I do? And the part of it that I is to me the the best, the the best part. Yeah, that's say, that's you, pretty you, heavy existential stuff for a twenty two year old to publish. Oh, it absolutely, is. it's, a, uh, it's it, terrific. It, 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 and he steals uh, the structure is the same as Dante. He he works. He he deliberately riffs off that. But he he steals from Shakespeare. He's got Hamlet. He's got Henry the Fourth in here. Yep. He's got Twelfth Night in here. Uh, and so you're learning about other things if you don't know them. And for high school, you probably don't. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, it, it's a broad-based look at the world of who am I and what is the point. Yeah, what am I doing here? How do I relate to these other people? And what happens if I say something to this woman and she goes, what are you talking about, doofus? Uh, who am I? How did I get here? Where is my beautiful wife? <laughs> That's right. That's right. There you go. It is. Well, it, it is. That's right. Yeah. You're talking you, heads. You, talking you to Dave Martin, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you don't get <coughs> to the talking heads, and you don't get to any of this that's in between, uh, or any of the 20th century poets, without starting at Eliot. Yeah. And that's so influential. But this is a part, um, this is down into the, the poem a bit. No, I am not Prince Hamlet, nor was meant to be. Am an attendant lord, one that will do to swell a progress, start a scene or two. Advise the prince, no doubt, an easy tool. Deferential, glad to be of use. Politic, cautious, and meticulous. Full of high sentence, but a bit obtuse. At times, indeed, almost ridiculous. Almost, at times, the fool. And I, I just love that. It's like, no, I'm, I'm not the center. I'm not the hero. I understand that. I'm, I'm just a guy. Yeah. I'll be there. You're Horatio, to, to, to continue that, to Hamlet. You're the buddy, but you're also Yorick, the fool. And Polonius. And Polonius, too. Yeah, you that's know. right. I mean, it's all kind of yes. uh, mixed up all in there together. Yeah. And that's what, uh, that's beautiful. That's, and that's beautiful. To a nerd that's like, oh, <coughs> somebody gets me. Mm -hmm. And he got me, you know, 100 years ago, almost. Um so that's, you guys are, you're dying to, you know, what is, what, why does he mean something to you? Because I always felt like he was speaking to me. Um, and, and well, then the, that make, that's what makes a good poetry right there. Yeah. yeah. Right. That's, that's ultimately what, uh, where, where poetry stands or falls in these <clears throat> You must be moved by it. Yes. In some fashion. Yeah, because on its own, it's not <coughs> objectively entertaining. <coughs> Uh, or titillating might be a better way to put it. Yes. Uh, uh, although I'm sure some poetry can be. Uh, again, there once was a man from... Oh, never mind. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, you know, that's the thing about poetry. You either you either get it, it either speaks to you or it doesn't. There's very little in between in my experience. Yeah. And what, what, what does speak to you? You know, what kind of poetry does? Um, I always liked Houseman as well. Uh, Terrence, this is stupid stuff. You know, that's a fun, interesting poem as well. This one, Elliot feels more desperate. 
Yes, that definitely because comes as it here. moves on from Proof Rock, then the Hollow Men and the Wasteland do become more about the the world and and what is all this? What is the point of all this? What are we doing here? Yeah. We are the Hollow Men. We are the Stuff Men. Headpiece filled with straw. What is all the purpose of, of all this? So. Let me ask you this, and maybe this is, if, if you don't want to answer this, feel free to say, no, I don't want to talk about this. But the, the question that immediately has come to mind, since you say this spoke to you, is what was it about what was going on in your life at 17 that made you in that same place? And again, that might be a little more introspective than we want to go on, on this show, but I mean, yeah. it kind of begs the question... You know, it spoke to you, but in what way? The, the who were you, who were you that it made it work so well? Yeah. yeah. At well, that time. you know, I was a skinny kid from the South End, at a private school, in a class that where a lot of kids played sports, mm-hmm. and all boys. Right. So, relating to the girls was difficult. Oh, on multiple levels. One, because you're skinny nerd from South End. Yeah. But also, you didn't get the opportunity every day like those of us who went to public school. Right. So if you're in co-ed school, you get <coughs> a little bit more opportunity to interact. And uh, a Protestant in a Catholic school, mm-hmm. so somewhat didn't fit in there. there multiple, fish out of water. Yeah. yeah. Fish out of water is exactly what it's going to say. On multiple levels. Yes. Yes. Um, and so... You know, nowadays, I view my high school classmates very differently. They are, by and large, outstanding men. They are. They really are. But that doesn't necessarily mean they were outstanding 17-year-olds. Oh, I find that almost nobody <laughs> is an outstanding... If you're an outstanding 17-year-old, it usually means you're a big jerk. Because that's how you are outstanding as a 17-year-old. How to stand out. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, but yes, many of the people I went yeah. to high school with, it's like I wouldn't, you know, I would have pissed on them, put them out if they were on fire, you know. Yeah. Uh, but so, you know, as 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 adults, we are all hopefully much yeah. better people. Yeah. You know, people I never yeah. would have spoken to. There, so there were a couple of bullies, and you know, again, I as always, weighed about one hundred and ten pounds back then. So soaking wet. Yeah, and so you know, you 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 find some meaning in whatever you can find. And, and this was there. And this was there, and other things. And I don't mean to, I don't mean to say, oh, I had no friends, or I had friends, and right, right. I had classmates I was close to. But it's you're always struggling. See that one thing you fit. just said makes your interest in Nietzsche more understandable. Yes, finding meaning where you can. Yes, and, and yes, understanding of it's okay to be different. It is a spot where Nietzsche can be influential. Yes. The same as yes. Elliot. We're all individuals. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not. And, in, and listeners in the 80s, you didn't go get a tattoo so that you could be an individual like everyone else. Right. Yes. Very true. Yes. You dressed all in black. <laughs> <laughs> Which I did a few yeah. times. I had the black mm-hmm. overcoat, so I did yeah. a little bit of a goth thing. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we didn't all go get a tattoo so that we could express our individualism, just like all of our friends. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> we just did it. In, we did the same thing, just different ways. Yeah. And then, mm-hmm. then you find again that Elliot is 
he speaks to you, but then you discover, oh, he's now intertwined with, say, Conrad, who I really enjoyed as well. And that's influencing these other great pieces of art like Apocalypse Now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so you, you start to see where all this stuff goes. And it's like, wow, this is a guy that we don't even realize, again, influenced everything that came after. Very true. Yeah. So, yeah. And, again, an interesting life. Um, troubled marriage. You know. Way ahead of his time there. Yeah. So, yeah. not completely uncommon, but, uh, you know, a troubled marriage and he did stay a married. lot of demands. He did and, stay married to her, did he not? No, eventually they were legally separated. Uh, okay. with yeah. he and Vivian. Yeah. Uh, but I, he did not remarry until she died, I think. She okay. died well, in a, uh, in a, like an asylum. A legal separation, separation is a different thing than a divorce because even in the 1920s, divorce was not yet legal in England because I think that was 1930, mid-30s, yeah. something like that. Yeah. And they did not separate. Unless I you're think, king, in, of course. Until the 30s. And um, it, she would in the late 30s, be institutionalized by her brother, and she died in 47. Right. So, um, he and would remarry after that. Yeah, and was institutionalized this whole time. So, so much of her mental difficulties colored what he would do. Yes, it, it, it squeezed on him uh, and, and colored his perspective as he's writing things like The Wasteland and The Hollow Men. Um, but he, he would eventually remarry to someone uh, that worked for the publisher who was younger and uh, she kind of, after his death in the 60s, sort of became the guardian of his, his legacy. So Interesting. I gotta say, you were way deeper than I was in high school. Yeah. Not always. Trust no. me, I liked a good dick joke when I was 17 as well. Well, who doesn't? I mean, well, it was today. But, I mean, you know, th- this is not where my, I guess, introspection went. Um, I don't know. I guess you say my introspection was less deep. It wasn't as, um, I guess it just wasn't in areas that were more associated with higher thinking, uh, this sort of thing. You had a creative outlet as, all, as well, though. You were an actor. That's true. That's true. And I an artist. And an artist, yes. Um, so, you know, maybe that had something to do with it, but even, even so being, you know, an artsy fellow, I still really wasn't into, into poetry all that much. I just didn't, I don't know, I guess I just, for those in those, those people in those kinds of groups, you know, there, it was almost more of a snooty approach Yeah. to yeah. this sort of thing. And I was never about that. Yeah, you know, and I didn't want to be snooty about it. Right, right, yeah. It was definitely not everything. Like, like, you know, Dylan Thomas wasn't, didn't jump off the page at at me. Mm -hmm. And that's somebody that's very influential and important in that era. Right, I mean, you weren't, you know, busy filling up journals full of notes and, you know, little doodles and whatever about uh, the deep meaning you found in, you know, this one line of this particular poem. Right. Uh, unlike what some of the contemporaries yeah. might have done. Yeah. Uh, I just carried with me stuff as I went forward. 
Yeah, that's probably a good way to put it. I mean, that's probably a good description of what all of us yeah. have done. Again, in varied fields, in varied ways. You know, we all have uh, a background that is similar in that way, I think. That we have carried bits and pieces of the stuff that, that uh, we have encountered and that has meant something to us. Yeah. And, you know... <clears throat> Maybe we're just coming really late to it, but, you know, finally putting it all together in our mid-50s. And it's not, again, not that my classmates did not carry things forward with them, but they often more carried their personal experiences in a a social setting with each other where they learned and grew with each other and moved forward with that, whereas some of us grabbed hold of these things that we read that meant something and we carried those forward instead and then had to come to the social end of it mm. down the road a little way. Yeah. I kind of wish that um, <clears throat> somewhere along the way I had stumbled into or somebody had taught me or explained to me, hey, hey maybe this would be a good thing to it to pro- how to approach things, to to look at things in that way a little better. Yeah. Um, so... <clears throat> Not to turn all this into a you know a bunch of navel gazing, uh, but it's poetry. So what else are you going to do? What are you going to do? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So poetry's for. <clears throat> um, but you know, a lot of my childhood memories are very surface level. I guess in many ways, mm-hmm. um, I find that I don't have the 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 number of memories to draw on. You know, like telling stories. Now, part of this, you know, Mrs. Robert. Her family's all down here. My family's all on, you know, the other side of this state or, you know, 400 miles away in Michigan. Yeah. So, uh, when you're not around your own family, you have less of an opportunity to rehash all that stuff. <clears throat> so, because she's always amazed when, you know, something will come up and I talk about uh, childhood or, or family uh, things. Because, well, it never comes up because we're always with your family. Because <laughs> well, my family's not here. Well, there's some truth um, to that. I, but I, I think we men, not to go off on a side tangent, but I think it's relevant. We men have a tendency to gravitate towards our wives' families more than our own family of origin. I don't know. Um, I certainly do. Geographically, uh, that's the way my. I mean, mine ended up being you have a, a logical reason yeah. for it. Uh, but no, I, I, uh, I tend to spend more with my wife's family than I do with my own. And uh, and it just happens that way. I don't. And I'm just I'm just wondering if there's something to that. Well, you also met your father-in-law uh, when before I, you met your, your before wife. my wife. That's yeah. correct. And uh, and there's all that. And you know, I've, I've been integrated in the family very very well. Uh, and you know, and you took I, pity on him. Somebody <laughs> yeah. had well, yeah, well, somebody yes, on, on all of us. Yes. Yeah, so. You know, daughters are often closer to families uh-huh. and sons. Where are. where men feel the need to be independent. True. Son. Uh, I mean, when you think about a guy either living on his own or married, he's not going to go call mom over, I need to have car work done. Whereas a daughter often does uh, call and ask dad about... Well, you know, there's some truth to that. So you get more, there's more interaction and more integrated. You get pulled into the dynamics, I think, with a wife's family some... There's truth to that. Whereas, whereas you, a guy tends to want to make his own decisions without listening to mom and dad. But, well, but women are more collaborative. And there's a little bit of that Oedipal thing going on because you know guys, and it's also just longstanding in, in human history. 
is that the sons are pushed out. Yes. Uh, you know, if you, especially if you're not the first son, yeah. you, you gotta go figure out everything on your own. You're you're just sol. Uh, and even the first son isn't always gonna gonna have the easiest time with that. But you know, uh, there's also something about sons and, and fathers where there's always that little bit of headbutting. Uh, and great comical way this plays out. Uh, so the former pastor, whom we all know and love, that uh, has the great bourbon collection, um, <clears throat> pardon, uh, get choked up thinking about his bourbon collection. And uh, you know, he talks about he talks about it this way. Uh, you know, you got the athlete out there. You know, dad's out there teaching him how to throw that football, working with him hour after hour, hit a baseball, whatever, hour after hour, night after night, week after week. He achieves, you know, he uh, works his way through a high school program, you know, college, big star, makes it to the NFL, finally gets to the big game, wins the Super Bowl. What does he do? First thing he says when they interview him, hi, mom. Mm-hmm. You know, it's never, hi, dad. You know, the guy who actually helped him uh, build the foundation. You know, it's one of those things. It's just, it's, it's kind of human nature yeah. that we do that. Um, and, you know, I think women are the same way. They, t- you know, I am closer to second daughter than I think my wife is, although she's closer too. But that's partially because second daughter, she just likes to talk to everybody. So, but you know, she and I, we do a lot more stuff. I actually have more in common with her than I ever thought I would. Um, and uh, you know, I-, I have a lot in common with first daughter, but she probably talks to Mrs. Robert more than she talks to me. But to be fair. She hasn't talked to all, all of us all that often because she's busy living her life. Yeah. Yeah. She's out there. Yeah. I mean, second daughter is too, but, you know, she also just calls home to tell everybody about all, about all of her stuff that's going on. Yes. I mean, that's uh, Mrs. Martin, you know, has to call and relay all the specifics of yeah dog bowel movements and everything that's yeah, we okay. can let that go. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's, skip a bit, brother. Skip, skip a, a bit. bit yeah, you know, send in an email. That, that doesn't need to be talked about. Yeah. So, um, let's, this is a good spot for a bourbon break here at uh, Studio F. Yeah, after all that, I feel like I need a drink. Good Lord. Yeah, yeah. That's heavy stuff. That's a little too many feelings. Yeah. <laughs> good God, man. I only got four. <laughs> Sad, mad, glad, and horny. Yeah, and none of this discussion fit in any of those. Only one of those really matters. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so uh, first, uh, as I mentioned, I, w- I want to a toast to Bishop David, class of '84, Fly High Falcons. There you go. You are you, go. you are very outstanding men. The final class of Bishop David. Yes, cool. yes, yes, very much the final class, and uh, yes, my relations. They have been rocky at times, and I wasn't sure I fit, but I admire you guys more and more all the time. Well, and, you know, uh, some of those friendships did last into college. Because mm-hmm. several of the guys went to Bellarmine with you, right? Uh, there were a couple, yeah. yeah. Uh, there's there's a couple of guys at Bellarmine, and, uh, of course, Gregor Mendel uh, yes. introduced me to Mrs. Martin, and um, hoping to have a phone call with Gregor uh, next week. Actually, to say hi, I don't get to say hi much to him. He's very, very busy. Um, but he's he said he would have time and he would give me a shout. Excellent. It's gonna be awesome. Always cool. Yes, tell him we said hello. I will. Indeed. I will. He always, always wants to hear about you guys. Oh, excellent. He does. He awesome. He, he, he wants to say hi to you guys and he wants to hear all about it. And there's just too much to tell. So, 
He needs to be a guest. We need to we need to talk biology at some point and genetics. Oh, we need to have him on just so he can tell all those stories about you from high school. Yeah, I'm not sure he remembers them, but uh, he'll, he'll remember a few from when we were out at uh, out in college and egg it out. Probably not as good as the trip to to Michigan, though. No, no, but they were good. They were yeah. close. Yeah. Well, you know, everyone should have friends like that. Yeah. You know? And for the, I'd say for the most part we do. Although do. I don't know how many of you, I don't know that you really hang out or, or talk to many of your high school friends. I mean, I really only have the one that I talk to. <coughs> well, uh, no, I have the one, uh, the mutual one that we have. Uh, although he and I were not in the same class. Uh, well, yeah, of course, I, he's in. That's the one who's in Tennessee now, though, right? No, no, he's he's, he's here. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. Yes, uh, well, that that's true. That's yes. just somebody else. Yes, uh, TV. Yes, and, and I, and I, but yes, uh, I I do, I do talk to him quite a bit. He's in Tennessee, as you say, so I don't get to talk to him much. I have I have quite a few friends in there, but they're all professional friends, right? So I don't I don't ever call any well, of them. I wouldn't even know how to call any of them. All of us are just classic introverts in the sense that we have a small, tight circle of friends. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, we all very can be very outgoing and and you know be the life of the party, uh, but you know where we don't get energized by other people in that same kind of sense that right. an extrovert does. I have a massive uh, long list of, of friends from high school, uh, but I don't hang out with them. Well, yes. Uh, we uh, all have lots of acquaintances, but we have few friends. Yeah, that's just true to that. Yes. That's right. Wyatt Earp is my friend. Yes, and I don't have that many. Yeah. That's right. Hell, I got lots of friends. I don't. I don't. That's right. So... Yes. So I just polished off a snort of but you did. Wild I'm turkey. sitting here looking at your empty glass, sir. Yes, and uh, I have to pause here. I think because uh, I'm pretty well lubed up for uh, the <laughs> afternoon. Uh, but now, <laughs> hang on. There's no reach arounds going on around here. No, 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 no. sir. No. Oh wait, different kind of lubed up. Okay, yes. sorry. Um, but boy, that wild you're all over these sex jokes today. I'm, I'm you. you know, I I don't know. I don't know. It's they were there. Time. You had to use them, I suppose. Yeah. Well, I went to confession last week. Maybe I got, I'm trying to get get something up for the next time I go to confession. Okay, well, it's, 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 well you got to have something to talk about. Otherwise, you're just sitting on a bench. That's right. So I tell the wife if I don't, you know, if I don't have something to, to confess, well, you know, what's the point of going to confession? Yeah, you're just sitting there listening. She to She never the buys that as an argument for whatever it is I'm trying to. to, 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 to <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so, but that, we're drinking that wild turkey. Is, we're drinking what, regular wild turkey again? Matthew McConaughey's favorite. Oh, it's so good. And yeah, this is the, really good stuff. Yeah, it's, really good. A super go-to. I'm going to have to get a bottle. Pears, vanilla. I really do taste it. And it's so good. And it's mellow and smooth and just aged and just goes down you know, just right. If you don't space it out, not that I'm gulping my, my bourbon because I would never gulp bourbon. Uh, but if you drink it moderately, close yeah. enough, because before I was sipping it with much greater uh, space between, it does build up down in the gullet. Uh, mm-hmm. It's not a huge thing. It's not like an angel's envy that'll you know uh, has that slow burn down and then just kind of blooms from there. But right, because uh, you were talking that, that finish down there is uh, is is always important too. But yeah, this is, this is fine stuff. Uh, and you're right that that pear and that that vanilla uh, just very nice stuff. Yeah, and then it's just like holy cow, I can actually actually taste it. Yeah, it's, it, it, the, it's that's real. very good. It, it, the the taste is there. It stays with the tongue. I mean. I've I've had several. I'm still drinking it neat. Uh, there's a burn uh, in the mouth, but it's not a harsh burn. It's a it's a pleasant burn. No, I think it's far more pleasant with the uh, with a little bit of ice. Though. That's correct. That's right. I just I just didn't do it. I, I could have. I probably should have. Uh, I may try this again. But uh, at this point here, it really does. Uh, it 
it doesn't it doesn't get down that esophagus. I don't always like that. I know some yeah. do, and that's just what they do. But uh, I, that bothers me a little sometimes, and maybe it's just me. But I like I like it when it stays in the upper areas, and this one definitely does. Uh, anybody else we need to uh, toast or mention here? Oliva. Oh, I yes. want to say hi to Oliva. So yes. he he would get a mention here. Oh Lord, boys! I'm telling you, Oliva. Go ahead. Is Francis's new dog, uh-huh. not a puppy. Technically, it's Mrs. Francis's new I was dog. I say, let's be clear here. That is correct. It is Mrs. Francis. But I'm sure he loves his daddy. Uh, you know, Wes. You know, y'all were noticing when he was a little bit barky earlier. Uh, he does listen to me. He will, he yes. he will respond to me. But he loves his mommy most. Oh, that's uh, no question as to that. That's yeah, that's yes. where it's at. Yeah. In fact, uh, you know, when I when I have to be stern with him, it's uh, to her he runs. Very quickly, as you notice. Yes. Uh, what? He's talking loud to me. It has nothing to do with the fact you're misbehaving, doggy. Uh, but that's okay. And of course, we mentioned Bellerman, uh, their great success in last week's podcast. Uh, always nice to repeat that because I just love it. Uh, our alma mater earned a bid to the NCAA Big Dance, even though they didn't get to punch that they ticket. They didn't get to take it because bureaucracy does what bureaucracy does. That's right. So, more on our thoughts about. That uh, on snakesonors.com. That's right. Robert That's right. and I have both posted about uh, about Bellerman's triumph and, and the NCAA and their stupidity. Arch A. Adnes May, because I think if we say the real thing, we owe them a mortgage payment. Yeah, something like that. Ugh. And they they jealously project that trademark. So, um, so back though to to, to T. S. Eliot in the the subject at hand. You know, one of the things that strikes me about uh, many, not all certainly, I'm sure, but many of the people we have chosen for the Our Heroes, people you should know, is just the sheer number of things that they've done. When you look at T.S. Eliot's CV, you're going to see... Now, granted, these are all kind of related, but, you know, he's poet, playwright, publisher, editor, essayist... All these now, granted, it's all literary bent, but he's one. He's not a one-trick pony. No, not at all. Yeah. Uh, Hemingway, same kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, lots of different uh, things that go in with that. Uh, yeah, we haven't done them yet. We're going to, but you know, uh, one of mine, Stephen, and, and of course, uh, Francis is you know Stephen King. Uh, he's primarily a writer, but he's also, uh, you know, he's written many of the scripts that have gone for his his uh, movies or been involved in the script writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, short stories as well as novels, science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Right, horror is... uh, as well as some nonfiction. Uh, but also, he's a musician. Mm-hmm. He's in a music group, which apparently aren't that bad. Not great, but you know, yeah. the, and they they will do some some local gigs. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, of course, and also recovering uh, addict. Uh, you know, so you got to throw that in. Yeah, uh, you're creative right. type. You almost have to do that, or come from a background that involves it. Uh, and you always want to applaud someone who can overcome absolutely and, their own personal and embrace demons, sobriety yeah. and stay there. Yeah, because it's it, yeah because it some didn't. I mean, Hemingway right. was a good example of that. Well, you know, it it, seem, it does seem to be a common theme. There is something like that. Some some personal, not necessarily failing, because it may not be their own failing. Uh, you know, for instance. You and I come from, uh, Francis, you and I come from parents that uh, both have, uh, both of our parents, we come from background where both of us have alcoholism in the family. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, And I have some added things to go on with that. 
uh, which neither of us uh, appear to be in any danger of succumbing to. No, no, and uh, uh, after after you know fifty plus years, you know you think uh, we're not likely to pick it up. We're not likely to pick it up. You know, it, it kind of is a thing, and uh, as we've said often, we don't drink alcohol except when we're together. I, I mean, I'll have a beer occasionally at night because um, I, I like the taste of beer. A yeah. good beer. Uh, yeah, like Tommy Hall, you like beer. It makes yeah. you a jolly good fellow. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I am round. Round as I shape. I am jolly. So, yes. Uh, but, yeah, you know, most of my real drinking is done amongst friends. That's right. You know, I, I have found that, that it seems to be a thing with Gen X in that we have been able, as we got older... To observe where older generations were and react to that, and say, "Look, I'm going to be different from that." Respond, yeah. right? Yeah, it's a better word. Yeah, it, it responds to that uh, with a deliberation. Yeah, yeah. It, it, yeah. It, it's it's not it's and some thought. Usually, it's uh, it's not something where it's a simple reactionaryism where well, they did that. Well, I have to be different, so I'll do that. We well, try to take what's good with that and continue it and reject what we see as flawed and replace it with something better. Well, you know, I think that's... It's a very Darwinian approach, actually. Well, it's, you know, it, we, we got mad at the baby boomers because they were they used up all the free love before we could get any of it. Oh, my that's gosh. true, yes. Oh, holy mackerel, that is, that is brilliant. That is absolutely... No, that's very true, yeah. That is it's so awesome. So, I love and it. all the recreational drugs, not that we would have been, you know... Yeah, so as a reaction to so passe that, by the time that... Uh, yeah, as a, as a reaction to that and a reaction to our anger at the boomers, we decided, we well, you know what, we'll just do stuff better than you. Right. We'll have a better sense of humor. <clears throat> better music. Better music. And we'll just, you know what, eh, whatever. Well, well, you know, it's we, interesting. We reject that promiscuity that we didn't get to participate in. <laughs> I, I propose, and we, we sort of did this. I think it was, uh, did we do it for a hoopajoo maybe? Why Gen X is the, Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We could do that as a, as a, uh, our heroes as well, just the entire generation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, because uh, we're, we're the generation that has clawed America back out of everything that's happened since... 1985, yeah, in a way. Well, and you know, the interesting thing about our generation is not just that, because that, that is very true. Uh, so, and we've talked about this before. You know, our generation, probably more so than prior generations, because honestly, I look at the boomers and I see, you know, their use of poetry, poetry was to get laid. Yeah, you know, that, that's basically it. Uh, and I'm sure there was some introspection that got deep and what have you, but that also usually involves some LSD and some I was other say, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, drugs. Yeah, Lucy in the Sky with diamonds, come on guys. Yeah, exactly. Well, to even appreciate Ginsburg and Hal and stuff, that's, yeah. that's about drugs and, and, and destroying yourself. But when you look at our generation, you know, we talked about how we have dealt with change better than any generation yes. before or since. We're the whatever generation. Because we have dealt with the most change. More so than any... I mean, we went... Literally, I lived in a house with rotary dial phones. Yeah, we do too. And we now have a generation that mastered smartphones before the millennials, contrary to what they think. Yes. And, you know, we... I, I Because, granted, this is built on the backs of the boomers. I will acknowledge that. Uh, because of post-war world that the boomers helped, and their parents helped build... Uh, you know, I think we were we had more opportunities. 
you know, we didn't come from a time where you just became whatever your parents were. Right. That had changed by our time. That had changed. It started changing in the 60s. Yeah, yeah I will grant you that. Uh, but honestly, I think the boomers screwed it up. It went off the rails. But I think, you know, our generation is a little bit different. You know, we learned how to deal with change better. Mm-hmm. And we had the opportunity to deal with change better and to be more introspective. You know, we are the generation that fully embraced uh, what I like to call personal development in a positive way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it wasn't just because we were trying to get laid like, you know, the 60s boomers doing poetry, you know, not the same kind of thing. Uh, well, I think the boomers looked back at the past and found flaws, which there's always flaws. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. And decided that the whole thing had to be bulldozed. That's true. Whereas yeah. I think for Gen X, we would look back at the past and see flaws and go, you know what? That was pretty cool, but that sucked. Let's not do that again. And not bulldoze the whole way of life. There's some truth to that. Vietnam had a lot to do with that. Yeah. That, we that, we there just was... didn't indict everything about the past. Yeah, and maybe you know, maybe you're, maybe it's because we did not live through some of that, some of the worst of that stuff. That's right. We as were... adults, we lived through it as children. I don't really have any memories of Vietnam itself. My earliest memories of the world, you know, outside of my own uh, family, is Watergate. So, but was... not anything about the withdrawal from Vietnam, yeah, even I... though that's slightly after Watergate. Well, I or do... contemporary. It's, it's contemporary. contemporary very contemporary. And I do remember a bit of that because at our house, when you you know that my father was very meticulous. That NBC News, you know, six thirty every night. I'm watching it. Well, you know, as a TV nut kind of kid, which you loved all that. Well, hell, TV's on. I'm watching it, okay. and, I, and I'm, I'm absorbing a lot of this stuff about the world. It educated me in many, many ways. Uh, early. That's one of the reasons I could I could read early. I could, you know, I, I was well versed in a lot of stuff. And of course, you're absorbing a lot of this, both pop culturally, because there's all that in there, and that all that went on. And I'm still not quite sure if. The baby boomers, you know, the '60s hippies generation, would have if it if it if Vietnam made them, or they just simply used Vietnam to make themselves slightly different than they would have made themselves otherwise. It's probably a little bit of both, in my opinion, because you know every generation tends to want to rebel from the prior generation. So our generation tends to be far more conservative than the boomers. Mm-hmm. Uh, the millennials tend to be far more liberal than our generation. Right. Uh, who knows what Gen Z is going to be? Because because I think it goes millennial to Gen Z. I don't know why we had to. I've lost track now. Yeah. Well, well they uh, keep it, changing because you know it used to be twenty years as a generation. <coughs> they keep wanting to change the freaking label every ten years. That's not a that's not a generation. No, it's it's really between twenty five is probably a better uh, number between twenty to thirty. Well, when you talk about the boomers, you're talking about those born literally. From 45 to 65. That's, That's right. 20 years. That's right. Actually, 45 to 64, because you are the first year of the Gen X. That's exactly right. right. Because we are the second. second. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And I've often wondered, too, and this is, it's a possibility, and I don't know what you guys think of this, but I'm just going to kind of lay this out there. Because you're seeing, like you said, these generational changes betwixt things. The rise of technology and how that has affected things tremendously. Because in many respects, it's our generation that were the digital designers. 
Yes. The computer it is. the computer came of age as we came of age. It began on our watch. Well, Bill, Bill Gates is us. Gates is our age. Well, Tim Cook is our age. No, exactly. Gates is he, he's a boomer. Is Gates a boomer? Oh yeah, because he yeah Microsoft was founded in the seventies. We okay. graduated high school in eighty four. Okay. Eighty three. Right. Yeah. See, but but it really but computers. But became, the adopters of what he created. Well, see, but were generally Xers. Xers. Well, you know, it, it, we're we're stronger than that. Well, in the business world, it would be the the boomers that. Adopted because they would have been the ones uh, running things. Well, boomers and their parents because they probably went to higher level. But because you think about the eighties when everything was being adopted, but all like all the home computer stuff that was bought for us. Yes, yes. Right. The, we, we, we were the one. We were the, the digital drivers. How's that? Yes, the, we were the digital drivers. The disruptors of understanding that the, this uh, this technology can be taken out of the office setting. And be meaningful. Okay. Right. Boomers are digital developers. We are digital drivers that make it stick. Well, and then Mid- we also mo- took up that same mantle, though, because, well, you know, we, we are the ones that would be the generation that developed but smartphones. Smart. That's right. Because, and, which is where I'm going with this. Millennials are digital adopters. They don't remember a time without some of it, but they don't yes. remember all of it. Whereas Gen Zs, those who are being born now, are complete digital natives. They don't remember a time. I'd say even out. most of the millennials are are natives because depends on where you fall, where you set that. Not I look that. at my my daughters. They do not remember a time when we didn't have a cell phone, when there wasn't a computer connected to the internet in the house. Yes, but those are two different things. But, uh, and I, I think that well, you can, but I mean that's that's the environment though. Yeah. It, it is. I the, think the, the, the divider, technolo- technological change. Is something they're familiar with, but the natives, that smartphone really did change everything. It really did change everything, and I think that's where, the that's that's where yeah. the children that are being born right now have a very different road to hoe because they are natives to all that with a smartphone. Whereas yeah. uh, our children, I think, and actually, I think it's so. a very dangerous thing because that's kind of where I'm going with that. Yes, we ha- we even though we were the the drivers and the earliest. Adopters or the benefits, we, we, we reap the benefits of the earliest adopters. Like I said, we made our parents buy that stuff for us, if our parents did. Um, I never got that stuff till after I was an adult, but. Yeah. <laughs> but um, you wanted it. But you I wanted it. it. Yes, 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 correct. Yes. It was a thing um, for us. And that's, so that's a generational thing. In many ways, it. we had to earn it. And also, in many ways, you know, we appreciate it more because we understand what life was like to have to go and check out a freaking encyclopedia out of the library to yes. look something up. Yes, right. we understood that this Dewey Decimal System that we didn't understand made information gathering a lot easier. A lot, uh, yeah, a lot of work. Right, a lot of work. Well, yeah. a lot easier. Well, well Dewey Decimal made it a lot easier. It, it was, but only, it was still a lot of work, and it was a yeah. limited availability to us. Right. Whereas the internet is. Complete yeah. availability for yeah. everything. Yeah, I mean, I, I, they always try to teach you in school how to use the card catalog, and it just never. The thing about a card catalog, kids, is if somebody moves one of the cards, you're screwed. Yeah, it doesn't exist anymore. Basically, it's in yeah. a vacuum. Uh, it, but you remember, it, I remember using the card catalog, especially at Bellarmine, doing oh, yeah. research. Oh my gosh, that card catalog! I could fly through that thing looking for yeah, stuff. I but just, the thing yeah. was, though, it was still kind of hit or miss. Yeah, and it, even it with even the cards were all in the right place. Yeah, because, well, because they, they only over. had so much data. Well, they could not even only that. store so much data. 
uh, because you've only got so much space here, and you have to pick. Well, yeah, but you still then had to go find the book. I know, but you see, that, but that's limited. Is what I'm saying. It's, yeah, the, their library, all libraries, were extremely limited compared to what's on the internet. Because well, yeah. all libraries, and see, that's the difference. I think that like my high school term paper, I had to write. I had to use only sources that were available in our high school library, which was about the size of the three bedrooms in my house. Right, right. And we'll talk about, you know, the, the creative stifling that occurs. You're basically writing to the test. you got to figure out something that you don't care about. Well, that's, but that's they've got a nice is. section of, of information here on. You're um, always writing to the test. I mean, that's that, that would I know, never that was, uh, But I mean, a true research should be something that you're, you're really Yeah, but you know why it's limited to high school? I'll tell you why. Yeah. It's so that it makes it easier on the teacher to check whether or not you're plagiarizing. Well, that's, that, that, that's it. See, and now you have software to do that. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know... And they where still I was do it. They oh, yeah, still of course. Get caught and all where I was going with that is that, you know, because we had both the time... Because, again, we had the time. Uh, we were latchkey kids, uh, probably every one of us. Mm -hmm. So... Yep. You know, our after-school time was not structured. We were left to our own devices. Uh, and that kind of carried forward. You know, we had to learn how to entertain ourselves. If we were interested in something, we had to figure out what to do about it. Uh, mm -hmm. I think that made us a lot more self-sufficient. Mm -hmm. And it enabled us to have the ability to be introspective about this stuff. That's right. Oh, yeah. And, you know, for me, my introspection was more of that personal development stuff. Uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. That was because it was much more practical. So for me, that was just my bent. Um, this is a little too artsy fartsy for me, even being a uh, you know into acting and, and uh, being an artist. Because uh, like, but then again, you know, it's not what I do for a living. Uh, yeah. So. Yeah. But you yeah, know, I, you just, were, I just got to the point where it's like, you know what? I think laughter is what's gonna. Yeah. I like to laugh. Anybody that make me laugh is is cool. I was probably the only person who laughed out loud at Moliere in high school when we were reading Tartuffe. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is funny stuff. And everybody's just kind of staring at me. Mm. But, so you love that line in The Breakfast Club. You know, oh, I love Moliere. Yeah. I love yeah. his works, yeah. Yeah. So, guys, uh, that's pretty good. We did uh, about 35 minutes on Elliot and another 20 minutes on uh, Generation X. But that's okay, because we like it when stuff takes. That's the point of right. this kind well, of thing is well, this discussion where, where, where do you go yeah well it's one thing to navel gaze but then what do you do with this it's yeah. like in the code of honor last week yeah it's what you do with that stuff yeah. that matters amen yeah I'm holding T.S. Eliot with me but what gives it meaning is that you carry it into your life and and think about those things and, and what does that mean and how do I break out and how do I not be the Prince Hamlet, or, or the not the Prince, the uh, the the attendant, Horatio. Yeah, the the obtuse fool. Mm -hmm. How do I how do I do more? But if you're going to be the obtuse fool, by God, be the best one you can be. Yes, <laughs> yes. So I should have been a pair of ragged claws sculling across the floors of silent seas. See, it always amazes me that you, you know that you pull that stuff out, and you pull out the the Star Star Trek quotes like. Nothing. Of course, you you listen to it so much that mm -hmm. yep, it's memorized. It's memorized, Most of it. but and still enjoy it. Yeah, I mean, I I don't have that kind of stuff rattling in my head. I guess I have different things, but yeah, it's just you know how the sectors are arranged in your hard drive. So but that's very true. Although it's all uh, solid state, I don't think they have sectors anymore. Good, <laughs> Not in the same good way. For you. Good for you. <laughs> Haven't overwritten all of mine. 
But that's that's just that's just in there, and it's meaningful, and I gotta think about it every once in a while, and well, just it just goes to show you this is the sort of thing that is worthwhile. It is worthwhile teaching this stuff, even if your you know teenage kids hate it. It is worthwhile. It may not stick. It, it won't stick with everybody, but if you can get it to stick with one or two, then yeah. it, it, it's time well spent. Time well spent indeed. Yeah, and again, I just. This stuff was not the norm. Right. This was on the verge of subversive when Elliot wrote it. But he had people who recognized the quality of it, recognized what it could mean, and got it out there and made Elliot famous. And, you know, it's, it's a cultural criticism. And we appreciate people that are willing to take on the prevailing culture. Yeah, absolutely. And, and do something constructive. Right. Again, it's Install one thing, plumbing. <laughs> yeah, it's one thing to tear down, but it's another to build on what you observe. Uh, like a Chesterton or an Elliot. So, he's definitely a, an invite-to-dinner person. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Very much so. So, brother, what's next time? Absolutely nothing. Uh, that's very true. That's very true. That's You've been waiting for to use that, haven't you? Bet you? Your ass I've been waiting to use that. <laughs> That's right. Absolutely nothing. We're going to talk about the show about nothing. It's pop culture next time. So I mean, and one of the big '90s in particular popular touchstones was that show about nothing, Seinfeld. Uh, genius in so many levels, and yet something that defies categorization in many other ways. We're going to go deep with that next time. Hope you enjoyed another pointless discussion of eternal questions. Remember, new episodes publish every Friday at noon Eastern. Spread the word. We're on all the major podcast platforms. And leave us a comment or review because that helps others find us. We're on Instagram, Twitter, as well as our website, snakesandotters.com. I'm Martin. And I'm Robert. And I'm Francis. Join us next week, same snake time, same otter channel. <laughs>